abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind, as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of God loves me. Okay, but what is God? What is love? And who am I? Hello, I'm David Bolton, and welcome to my podcast channel, dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, we've often heard, I suppose from early childhood, if you're brought up in any way religiously, God loves you. And you think to yourself, God loves me. Well, I'm not going to question that. I mean, <laughs> uh, can I prove to you now that God loves you? No. Can I prove that God doesn't love you? No. I can't prove one way or the other. It's a question of belief. And I think in general, it's a very healthy belief to have. It reminds me of the Voltaire, French philosopher, 18th century, saying, if God didn't exist, it would be necessary to invent him. Voltaire was not an atheist. He was a more a deist. That is, he didn't belong to organized religion, but he did believe in a creator, and I believe a loving creator. But what he was trying to say with that is that even if God didn't exist, it would be a good thing to teach people because it makes you a better person. And I'm totally in agreement with that. Let's assume that God does exist. And let's assume that God loves you. Nonetheless, we see here in the title of this episode that from this one little sentence with three words, God loves me, or God loves you, or God loves us, there's little three-letter sentences. We can convert that into three questions. After all, to unceasingly question, <laughs> that's what we do in the Path of Socrates. And the first question is, well, what is God? They might say, David, that's disrespectful. Why do you say, what is God? Why don't you say, who is God? Well, I have my reasons. Do I think that God is a thing? No, I don't. But look, when we talk about the universe, we don't say who. We say what, even though it's so grand, it includes all the who's in who in Whoville or Whosville. What was that in the in the Grinch Stole Christmas? Includes all of us, but we say what? What is more general than who? Who? We only say for people. Now, if they were intelligent aliens, well, okay. But for example, you see a dog walking down the street. You say, "Oh, who is that?" <laughs> you say, "Well, you can say whose dog is that." You're not going to say, who is that? For who we use for people. So by saying, who is God? I mean, we say, who is that guy there? Oh, he's my neighbor. Or he's my boss or whatever. It's used to distinguish one person from the other. But God is in a totally different category. I think everybody would agree to that. I'm talking mostly people here that believe in God, right? And even if you don't, you'd have to agree, well, if there were a God, it's in a different category. It's not like another guy down the street or my boss. You distinguish that. Who is that? Well, that's my brother. Who is that? That's my sister. That's my boss. That's my worst enemy, whatever. But God doesn't fit into the who category. Uh, no more than, a, than an animal would, really. And no, I'm not debasing God. But for animals, we don't say, oh, who is that bug there? 
Unless it's a Disney cartoon and the bug has a name because it's cartoon. Well, yeah, but then we're equating them with humans. God is something, something, is some force so much above humans that our logical brains can't even conceive of how much greater God is than, than we are. So who isn't really the right word? I say what because what is more general. We use what for the entire universe, and the entire universe is much greater than this one person or the other. It's all people. It's all. It's everything in this universe, right? So I think what is a good question there and a, a properly formulated question. But then what is God? Now here, well, I mean, this has been debated for, I guess, billions of hours <laughs> for the last thousands of years, right? Uh, well, there's so many ideas there. If you think of the Roman gods, they weren't necessarily all creator gods, were they? They just happened to be related to some creator god or descended from, from him or from a creative goddess. In the Judeo-Christian Islamic system you have to say well yes god is the the creative being the the well i i call it the supreme intelligent creative force and i like to believe it's loving so the supreme intelligent loving creative force think about each one supreme above everything above the universe or universes if there are many universes intelligent well, yes, I believe in intelligent design. No, I'm not a biblical person. Everything in the Bible is true. Often fundamentalists use the idea of intelligent design teaching to slip into the back door of their creationist ideas of Adam and Eve, which I'm totally against. Nonetheless, the idea of intelligent design should be treated also in science classes and should be treated as possibility. I saw a talk by a biologist once. He said, when you get down the DNA level and certain things that you find that level, it's hard to imagine there's no intelligent designer. Everything is so brilliantly intelligently planned. Well, okay, that should be considered a possibility in science, but it should not be mixed with the Bible or the Quran or whatever because they're religious beliefs. That's something quite separate. But yes, it's it's, I won't even say quite possible, I think it's highly probable that spirit came before matter. In other words, first there was spirit, mind, and out of that, eventually the material universe was created. And that would be intelligent design. And there's no reason why that can't be treated in science classes, because many things are treated in science classes that uh, haven't been totally proven. Even Darwin's theory of evolution. Yes, I believe in evolution. Of course, I believe in evolution. I'd say evolution is a fact. However, I once talked to another biologist who was uh, who told me there's some things in Darwin's theory that haven't explained yet, and there could be some mistakes there. He was not a fundamentalist Christian in any way, but it's just that some of, some of Darwin's theory supposedly is still not been proven. That's why they call it a theory. Nonetheless, it's pretty obvious that things do evolved to a certain extent. You know, I'm not a creationist in the fundamentalist sense, but I, I'm not a, a Christian in that sense at all, or, or a Jew or a Muslim. I think for myself. Uh, but I think intelligent design is perfectly reasonable to believe in it, but we have to treat as that. And uh, as basically what it is, in other words, there is spirit behind matter. Could that be? Yes, there could easily be. 
remember materialists were saying just a couple hundred years ago yes if you get down to a small level you get to the atom and that's like a little ball bearing extremely small that you can't break up it won't split well now we know you can split the atom we know the atom is alive that has electrons moving around and all kinds of subatomic particles some of which say tachyons could be traveling in time well that sort of looks almost like it's sort of life to me i think if you go small enough you'll get to the point where the particles move over into what we would call the spiritual i think there's a there's a gradual connection there but to talk about such things in the sense of intelligent design, yes, those ideas should be entertained in schools, but should not be mixed with organized religion. And those people that push intelligent design are usually those who want to s sneak their religion in through the back door, so to speak, into science classes, and that should not be. But in any case, what is God? I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly what it is. I just think supreme, intelligent, loving, creative force so far above human beings we can't imagine however this force remember when they say god is everywhere god is everywhere on the other hand they say well god is in heaven and you know satan's in hell and uh and we're here and we want to go to heaven in other words that's implying we're not there already well if god is everywhere then how does that <laughs> how does that uh figure if god's everywhere well then we can have God and meet God here on earth, we don't have to be in heaven for that. It would seem like a contradiction, wouldn't it? On the one hand, we want to achieve bliss in heaven. We want to go there to be with God. On the other hand, God is everywhere, so, hey God, I, I guess he's sitting right next to me here. I don't say that jokingly. I personally think that that what most people, well, what most people would call God, that's also a problem I have. If people say to me, do you believe in God? I don't know what to say. Because they have one specific idea of what God is, and I might not agree with that idea. So I just say, well, explain to me what God is for you, and I'll say whether I believe in that. And then they think I'm trying to be a smart aleck, which I'm not. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I just think more subtly than most people, or I, I think more deeply, or I just think more than most people, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I am convinced there is a supreme, intelligent, loving, creative force. Call it God, whatever you want. Um, uh, as far as organized religions concerned i'd be more akin to the mystics it's interesting that every religion say the three main ones well judeo-christianity and islam you have these traditions of mysticism of mystics christian mystics uh, uh san juan de dios saint john of god or uh teresa of avila saint teresa of avila you have jewish mystics you have islamic mystics and they all experience things very similar experience of uh the feeling of bliss and seeing the light and such thing that's similar and i think we should base a religion based on the similarities on the very basic things look to the mystics because i think if you talk to buddhist mystics and hindu mystics they'd be all experiencing something very similar that gives us the key to the divine not the specifics of any one religion so what is god i can't answer that but i will say it is greater than we can even imagine and when we put it in a in a drawer that is god is in heaven god is our father and god loves us and god won't let the evil uh, new world order people kill us well don't bet on that because he's let a lot of people get murdered and <laughs> ever since history began but you know maybe his plan is more wise than we can imagine if it's true what jesus said my kingdom is not of this earth 
then maybe it doesn't matter whether we get murdered or die as babies, or it doesn't matter because the, the final station's going to be in the spiritual realm. I won't say heaven as if, you know, there's heaven there and then there's purgatory and there's limbo. No, the spiritual realm. That's what it's really all about. That's whence we come and whither we're going. And that's the important thing. And this life just isn't really that important. That's the way Jesus talked for the most part. As if this life, this, it's not about this, it's about the spiritual realm. But of course, we being human beings and having fear and not wanting to die, we like to think, no, I want to live as long as possible and God won't let me die. Oh God, I'm sick. Please cure me. Cure me. Well, is it good for yourself to be cured? Why are you sick in the first place? But now we're getting to the other questions that come out of the statement, God loves me. Sorry, I can't answer exactly what God is, but it's something infinitely more omnipresent and infinitely more subtle and much greater than anything any conscious human brain can envision. I'll put it that way. Maybe if you're in a mystical state, in some kind of trans-mystical state, maybe then you can have a short glimpse of feeling. It won't be an intellectual experience, but some feeling, oh my God, what this is so great. That, that is God. But then it's not going to be like a personal God in that sense. Uh, so, no, I can't answer you. Even if I had a clear vision of what God is, I wouldn't be able to put it into words. That's how humble we should be when we talk about God. But, of course, if you go, for example, well, some of these religions, they'll tell you what God is. Yes, God, he talked to, he was talking to Satan about Job, making that almost bet that they had. I'll bet you, says the devil, that if, if Job weren't so happy, if he didn't have so much, then he would curse you. Oh, I don't think so. Well, let's try it out. Uh, really, is that your vision of God? That is something so low and so stupid. But it's in the Bible, so it must be true. Sorry, people, you lost me there. Just because it's in a book, I don't care what book it is. Uh, I know that, well, I'm going to give a separate talk about the Christian fundamentalists. They talk as though that's the way it was in the beginning. Christian fundamentalism started in the 19th century, largely a reaction to Darwin and the evolution idea. Uh, and, you know, other religions have advanced more in that sense. For the Christian fundamentalists, there's still some telling us that the earth is flat and such things. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the earth is not flat. But I won't go into that now. Anyway, what is God? I think it gave you an idea of how magnificent that is and how humble we should be. And we shouldn't pretend that we know. You know, people say, God doesn't want you to do that. How the hell, pardon my French, <laughs> How the hell should, should those people know what God wants? Well, because in the Bible he said this. Well, did God want an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Because it's there in the Old Testament. Or did he want forgive and even love your enemies? Because that's in the New Testament. Well, gee, that's kind of contradictory, isn't it? And if Jesus Christ is God, well, then that's you know Jesus Christ against his father, I guess. Because they had two opinions or what? They don't think that. Well, no, these people don't think. They just believe. And depending on the Bible verse they're reading, they say, well, this is true. Oh, no, this is true. This is true. Really? Uh, what can you say? But yes, I do believe there is a God, a supreme, intelligent, loving, creative force. And it's more supreme than my mind or any mind can really imagine. It's more intelligent than any mind can imagine. It's more loving than any mind can imagine. It's more creative than any mind can imagine. And it's a force so strong that we cannot even imagine it. So I'm very humble as far as that what's about what God is. Okay, but at least for me, to the extent that I can do it, I've answered the question what God is, right? Even though it's certainly not a complete answer. But now what is love? 
well, you fall in love with a girlfriend. Oh, well, but then there's also, of course, love between parents and children. And then there's uh, platonic love, maybe love of friends or, or love of humanity in general. But what is it really? Have you thought about that? That gets quite interesting because if you think, let's not talk about romantic love, that's something quite different. It's mixed up with so many other things. Might give us a hint as to what more universal love is, but at the most only a hint. It's very deceptive. But if you think of sort of love of humanity, how many people really feel that even? How many people feel that? I think it's precious few <laughs> who feel that. I mean, depending on where you stand, if if you're suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, do you do you really love Donald Trump? I bet you hate him. And if you got a chance, you might want to put a bullet into him. Or if you're from the other side, how much do you love Nancy Pelosi? Really? Even if you're one of those fundamentalist Christians, remember, love your enemy. Do you love Nancy Pelosi? You might say, oh, well, yes, I love her because Jesus told me to love. Do you really love Nancy Pelosi? I'll bet you don't. I'll bet you're a hypocrite there. What is really love? That sort of love, we're talking on this level, would be something platonic love and above that. It would be, one could say the love of a Jesus Christ or maybe certain mystics or whatever, when they realize we are all one, basically, and we're all related spiritually, and they think and act and feel so much on that higher level that even if somebody comes up and kills them, they could still love that person because they see the greater context. For example, they might see that 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 well, that the individual, the mystic, must die murdered by somebody because it's part of the karmic plan, reincarnational connections, for example. Or just that the time is there to die, and this person that's murdering you is doing you a favor, really, because this is your time to die. They could see things on a totally different level, but the average human doesn't see it like that. And I'll, I'll gladly admit, if I leave the house today, and somebody comes up and you know pulls a knife and tries to kill me, I'm not going to think I love that person. I'm going to try to disarm that person and use the knife against him. <laughs> and I'll put it plainly. It's not likely it happened because I no longer live in Baltimore. I live here, <laughs> live here in Japan, and that's not likely to happen here. <laughs> well, I wouldn't just leave the house so carelessly, not being armed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But love here, when you say God loves you, he does. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a personal love, but it's at the same time a universal love. And just try to get your mind around that. Some say love is the most basic force in the entire universe. The entire universe is permeated by God, and God is, is love. I mean, in other words, they're, they're equated in a way. God is more than love, of course, but the force of love basically comes directly from God. What is hate then? Some say it's the opposite of love. Really not. It's more like the... I don't think that hatred is necessarily a force of its own at all. It could just be the absence of love. Uh, parallel here, and maybe a more precise parallel than even I realize, light and darkness. Light, well, light has electromagnetic properties. It can be perceived. It can be measured. Okay, so light is something that is there. It exists. It can be measured scientifically. But what is darkness? It's simply the absence of light. There is no universal force that is called darkness. Of course, Christians say, no, no, it's 
Satan. It's, it has to be the opposite. I mean, that goes back to the, the ancient Persians long before Christ, this idea of the good and the bad. Uh, that's, I won't get into that now, but it is related to it. Love, I believe, is related to light. And light is a very definite thing that exists. But darkness isn't. It's just the absence of light. And hatred, I think, could be that. It's the absence of love. Whereupon, if you have no love at all in you, then you will start hating for this reason or that. You'll hate somebody because of political views. You'll hate them because, because they're better at you in something. You're, you're open to all kinds of envy and all kinds of negative feelings simply because love is not in you or you have suppressed it or you have shut your your mind to it but love i believe is practically a universal force and yet it's it's connected to god so the god loves okay now we get an idea god is everywhere this universal supreme intelligent loving creative force and the idea of love that connects doesn't it now Love always connects. Goethe, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the great German thinker and poet and novelist and scientist, etc., etc. He was a universal genius. And he once said, you only get to know something really if you love it. That's interesting. With people, it's, I think, quite true. But also with areas. Are, are you going to really get to know mathematics if you don't love it? The greatest mathematicians love mathematics. The greatest musicians love music. And love unites. It unites you with the subject that you love. And it could just be playing baseball. Well, these days they might play more basketball. I never liked basketball, <laughs> despite my, my height, 6'2". Oh, these days I'd be short for a basketball player, but anyway. <laughs> uh, if you get pretty good at baseball, it's because you love baseball. You get closer to something that way. And if you can love people on a universal level, you will love people no matter what they do. It's like the, the parent with the child. The child might do bad things, might even become a serial killer, but still somehow you love that child. That's, that's a, a reflection of this divine love. So the God loves part we have, but now we have maybe the part that's most difficult of all. Who am I? Right? God loves me. Okay, but what is God? What is love? And who am I? They say, okay, well, my name's John Doe, and I work at this office. It's funny when you ask Japanese people, because I've done this with Japanese people. I said, uh, could you describe yourself? Who are you really? And I stressed that, who are you really? And they would say, uh, my name is Kiko, and I work at Hitachi, and I do this and this, and, and I like sushi, and I like to go skiing. I thought, what? I said, no, no. My question is, who are you really? I don't want to know where you work or that you like to go skiing. But Japanese people, they define themselves like that. But, I mean, of course, there are exceptions. But it's amazing how, I don't know whether it's just a mask they're wearing. And I mean, even when we're not in these COVID times. But they just don't want to say, or it seems to me they haven't really thought about it. People in the West think about that more. In general, I mean, there are exceptions in Japan, of course. But if somebody says, who are you really? I would never say, well, my name's David and I like pizza. And I, yeah, I mean, really? <laughs> but I've had this on several occasions. That's the way. They, and I'm timid. You say, oh, I'm timid. But no, who are you? <laughs> who, 
who, really, what are you deep down inside? Because one thing are these labels we put on ourselves. One thing is to describe ourselves, uh, oh, who are you? Uh, my name's, uh, I don't know, my name's John, and I work, uh, and I'm a police officer, and, and I have two kids. And Well, that's describing your circumstances. But who are you really? Have you ever thought about that? Most people have. In moments of introspection or thinking, well, you know, what is life real about? And who am I? Well, they like to have easy answers. Well, I'm a child of God, and yes, my name is David, and God made me, and I'm a whatever philosopher, harpsichordist, whatever you want to say. I work with the police or work here or there in an office. Uh, that's an easy answer, but who are you really? What are you? The who are you, that's more like who are you compared to the next person. And I don't mean, well, I can run faster than he can. I don't mean that. I mean, what really differentiates you from another person? That's the who part. But what are you and what is the other person? Uh, at the very least, I would say, maybe people think, well, we're, well, bodies, look, this is me. This is what you see, right? What you see is what you get. But I have a soul. I have a soul. You know, like I have a car and I have a house and I have a computer and I have a soul. I don't see it that way at all. I am a soul that has a body. <laughs> you see the difference there? <laughs> There's a huge difference. Right? It's like, I am, maybe you say, I am a person and I have a car. But if your car could talk, say, no, I'm a car and I have a person driving me. <laughs> like that, right? Well, this, maybe that's not an exact parallel. But anyway, you get the idea of how you have to be mentally flexible in these things. So, I think spirit became, became before matter. I think spirit is obviously a type of energy. Maybe it's not measurable yet with our scientific means, but it will be someday, I'm convinced of that. Some say it can be already that when people die, they lose a certain amount of weight that's not water weight. It's something else that they're losing, and I think it's the soul leaving the body. It probably corresponds to a very, very minimal amount of weight that they could be losing there, the, the life force, the energy force, which is not the the most basic thing in the soul, the soul has different levels there. But let's put it this way. If the soul can survive death, and I'm convinced it can, I think there's a lot of evidence that it can, then because it's energy, it would also exist before birth and even before conception. I don't think that the soul just, I mean, Christianity teaches God creates the soul then, you know, with the body, he creates the soul. No, I think your soul existed long before Personally, I believe in reincarnation. I believe it because I think there's overwhelming evidence that there's something to reincarnation. If you don't want to look at the evidence, fine, but there is tremendous evidence. Look up the book, I believe it's called 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation by Dr. Ian Stevenson, written in the 1960s, I believe. Look it up. Well, very scientifically written and that'll get you thinking in another way of course if you're a christian standard christian you might think oh well i'm not going to read that because it's reincarnation that's devil's nonsense or whatever open your mind please start learn to think really there's nothing diabolical about reincarnation it's even uh, much more logical than the idea where well, you do something bad and you go to hell for all of eternity you kill somebody okay you you kill a baby well that's pretty evil let's face it <laughs> i'm not even talking about abortion here but i read that Democrats in one state, I think it's California, want to make abortion legal up to the first week after birth. Really? That's not murder? Well, 
<laughs> I don't know. I think your ethical compass needs repairing if you think that's not murder. But anyway, let's say even if you kill a baby and, and that baby would have lived 80, 90, let's say 100 years. So you've stolen 100 years of life from this poor baby. But now the baby's in heaven for all of eternity. 100 years is nothing compared to all of eternity, right? But now that person who murdered the baby, if they don't confess or find Jesus or whatever, they're going to they're gonna go to hell for all of eternity. Well, it seems to me that's like saying, if you steal a loaf of bread, we're going to execute you. And you know, in centuries past, that's what they did. If some peasant stole a loaf of bread, he's a thief. So they executed him for stealing a loaf of bread because his family was made poor, didn't have any bread, didn't have any food to live on. Well, that seems kind of extreme to me. You steal a loaf of bread and you're executed. But here, okay, you murder a baby and that baby would have lived, let's be optimistic, 100 years. You're stealing 100 years of life. What's that compared to eternity? That's not even a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. But now you're going to suffer in hell for all of eternity. That seems like overkill to me. Seems to me, well, you stole 100 years baby's life. Let's throw you in hell for 110 years, for example. But for all of eternity, how many Christians actually think about the things that they're teaching? And really think just to this level, and this is not especially deep. I'm not saying it's fine to kill babies. <laughs> I am pro-life, yes. And I think the idea of murdering people is horrific. And I believe in the death penalty for doing so. But I don't believe that if I were a just God, I would say, hey, you sent me this baby soul a hundred years before its time. So now I'm going to send you to hell for all of eternity. That seems like overkill. But of course, when somebody kills a baby, we're so horrified by it that we want them to suffer and suffer and suffer. It's an emotional human thing. I don't think God thinks that way. I'll tell you, I don't think God thinks that way. And there could even be karmic reasons why that murderer happened to kill that baby. Not saying it's justified. Oh, I'm not saying that because we can't know that. But God will know that. But who are you once again? Well, as I said, I think basically we're the soul. Our higher self. Our self that knows so much more about us, about our life path, about past lives. But then who is that? Who is my higher self? in connection with yours, in connection with all the other higher selves, in connection with all of humanity, the, the, the ocean of spiritual beings behind all of this, behind all of these incarnations. Who am I in particular? Why did my soul incarnate, even if you don't believe in reincarnation? Why are you here? For what purpose are you here? Is there a purpose? Does God want you to do something? If he does, how could you not do it? If God wants it, doesn't God get what he wants? Because he's God. If he wants it, <laughs> it's like <laughs> if I own a restaurant and I go in there and say, I want chicken, believe me, I'm going to get chicken because I own that restaurant. And if somebody does give it to me, they get fired, and then somebody else comes in and gives me the chicken, right? But if, if you think God wants me to do this, but I don't want to do this, well, that's part of the art of wisdom and life, isn't it? Putting yourself in a sort of groove, and a sort of track that corresponds to what life wants for you, to what God wants for you. We have to sense what's our true path. You as an individual, not for everybody. For, I say that purposely because some people think, yes, my true path, it's to be a good 
I don't know, a Presbyterian, just like my parents were and just like my friends are a good Presbyterian. Well, maybe that's not the right path for you. Does God want everybody to be Presbyterians? If so, why are there Catholics and Jews and Muslims and, and Lutherans, etc., etc.? God doesn't want that. Well, of course, the more, the more uh, convinced in each of those religions would say, no, God really wants everybody to be Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Lutheran or Baptist or, the, or Mormon or whatever. Really? Well, if that's the case, then why, why isn't that happening? Apparently, God must be one frustrated individual. You know that? I say individual jokingly because it's much greater than any individual. He must be really frustrated because he's thinking, imagine God up there, he's thinking, I want everybody to be a Mormon. But gee, there's so few Mormons. Uh, well, maybe he changes his mind then, as if that were possible with God. No, uh, I'm going to go with the majority. I want, every, I want everybody to be a Buddhist. There's so many hundreds of millions of them. Yeah, but then there's so many Christians around. I don't want that either. God must be really frustrated. And of course, he has anybody in most of these religions say, well, yeah, God could be a little angry with this, as if God could get angry. I mean, you have to laugh at that. So God, oh, I know he gets angry in the Old Testament, but that was one God among many back then. Read the Old Testament, you'll see. Uh, there are many gods back then. That's not really my idea of God. It's more like the devil, the God of the Old Testament. Not, not talking about the God of the New Testament here. But Christians, they read the Bible, but they don't realize how many contradictions they are, and they don't really deal with them because it's unpleasant, and that would require deeper thought. hate to say it, but that's the way it seems to me. But uh, as far as religion's concerned, I think we should look for what's in common, life after death, that we have a soul, etc., etc. See what religions, what most religions have in common, and use that as a basis to develop another religion that's walking hand in hand with philosophy and with science. That's the path of truth, in my view. Now, unfortunately, despite the title of this, what is God, what is love, who am I, or who are you? I don't think I answered any one of those questions very well, did I? I couldn't tell you exactly what God is. Couldn't tell you exactly what love is, and I certainly can't tell you who you in particular, who are you really? I don't even know totally who I am. No, it's not because I have Alzheimer's. <laughs> it's not that. It's a, did you ever have an experience like this? Sometimes you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, who am I really? And you have the feeling you're looking out from something like, is this body, is that really me? And you might, I, sometimes I smile, laugh at myself, thinking, no, that's, I'm the soul. This is what I'm, this is how I'm uh, clothed in this life with this body. You know, whether there's reincarnation or not, at least, you know, Christians would agree with this too. We have this body, we go through this life, and then the body disintegrates. Okay, they believe it's going to maybe come back again, the second coming, all that. Well, we can put that aside for now. In any case, this body is going to end up in a grave, and it's going to turn into a skeleton, and that's, that's going to crumble too after so many thousands of years. But what are we really? We're really the life force within. We're really the soul within, much more fundamentally. But on that level, we can't really think because we have this mind. The soul is connected, of course, works through the brain. And then there are so many other factors come into play, our animal nature, for example, and uh, intellectual, logical sorts of thoughts that in part aren't uh, working together harmoniously with the more intuitive level that would be connected more to the soul level. It's very, very complicated. So I haven't been able to answer any of these questions for you, but I hope I've given you an idea 
of the directions in which it's good to think sometimes. Sometimes you're in an airport and you have to wait for hours, you don't have a book, you don't feel like reading. Just say to yourself, God loves me. Well, that's comforting for anybody. But then I said, what is God? What is love and who am I? And try to dig more deeply into those things. This is a, this is a nexus. This is like a, yeah, a, a connecting point between religion and philosophy, in a sense. Religion and theology, well, you could say that too. God loves me. Okay, but what is God? What is love and who am I? And when you start thinking about these things more deeply, you could easily pass an entire day in the airport waiting. That is if you like to think a lot. <laughs> but don't let yourself get frustrated easily because no matter how much you think about these things, through your logical, rational, conscious thinking processes, you won't be able to understand any of these things. You won't understand what God is, what love is, and who you are. But maybe, just maybe, you'll have a moment, maybe just a second of the mystical experience. And then suddenly everything will be clear. The problem will probably be afterwards, you won't remember it all. And even if you do, you can't put it into words so nobody's going to understand what you're talking about. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, despite all the questioning we do on the path of Socrates, no matter how deep we go, there's some questions we can't answer, but that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile asking those questions because you ask yourself these questions. What is God? What is love? And who am I? And you will be able to dig deeper and get at least more understanding about these issues than you have now. Thank you for following me on this The Path of Socrates. And until the next time, bye now. <laughs>